the purpose I'm preached today, and you can you can mark me on it and see if I've hit this, hit hit it in the end. The purpose of my preach is to show the importance of relationship with the right people and being in the right place. And I've I won't say that because I'm going to talk about it later. But these people are going to help you be bigger than you are by yourself. Okay, I'll put it that. I'm going to talk about it a different way. Um, they're the equippers, the encouragers. That's, I'm going to sh- hopefully show the importance of that. And then I want to have a look at how the enemy attacks that and what we can do about it. Okay? Because relationships are so important that the enemy realizes that, that he comes, comes in and tries to get at them. So we need to be alert because our country needs alerts. That's an old joke, isn't it? So, okay. You, do, you don't have to laugh, you, you, but you will encourage me if you do. Okay, and they're only dad jokes, I'm sorry, because I am a dad, soon to become a granddad for the third time, which is fantastic, isn't it? Well done, Bethan and Scott. That's great. Keeping up the family line. Right, can I turn you, please, to the Bible straight away, Bob? I don't know why Olive said that Bob could understand, but she implied that Eileen couldn't. You know, I kind of, it's Bob and Eileen could understand, both couldn't understand, because they both talk in that strange way, don't they? <laughs> sorry, I'll stop right there. Genesis 11. And I'm reading today from the ESV all the time, just because it's easier to stay in the same version. And I've printed them out onto pieces of paper. So if you think I'm just making it up from bits of paper, it's actually I've printed it out on my printer. Yeah? This is the story of the Tower of Babel. You presumably know this story, but I'm going to read it because I think it's, it's, it's quite powerful. And the Bible always is more powerful than our interpretation of it, if you see what I mean. Use the Bible if you can, and interpret it if you have to, kind of thing. I just made it up, by the way, so that was quite good. <laughs> now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I've always been struck by the, the story of the Tower of Babel because I think there's some fantastic truth in there. It's so powerful. But if you look at verse 4, this is what they said. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now, you should have alarm bells, dingle, 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 straight away, but even from this morning's worship. Let us build a city for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. 
that we may not be dispersed. There was a real sense that they were, they were kind of wanting to glorify themselves. They wanted to build this city for a name for themselves. And that's, that's how it's, that's how it's, it's based. But it's, it's really, really fantastic what, what God says. It says, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And because it was going to be so detrimental that they would do what they would do, God's judgment on them was to stop them from their own stupidity. I think I saw it in a commentary somewhere. It says there's three times God moved like that. First was the, the Garden of Eden. God didn't want people living together in their fallen, forever sorry, in their fallen state, so they were banished from the garden. But this is one where he didn't want them building a name for themselves, glorifying themselves, so he came down. And it's interesting that, that and this will come in later, that God said, let us. So God in relationship came down and dispersed them, caused confusion. It's interesting, wherever there's man promoting himself, man building a name for himself, there's always going to be confusion because that's how it works and that's what happened. God brought confusion because man was trying to exalt himself and the very thing they didn't want to happen, they didn't want to be dispersed, was the very thing that happened to them because they were set about it in the wrong way. They set about it to glorify themselves, they set about it to glorify their name, and they set about it to build a city almost to make themselves like God if you like. It was the ultimate thing, wasn't it? Making themselves like God with a city that would reach to the heavens. But really, all I want to pull out of this is to see the power of agreement, the power of unity, the power of, of oneness, that it says that nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. This is the old covenant. This is the Old Testament. This is ungodly people. Working in agreement. Nothing they propose to do will be impossible. How much more in the new covenant for godly people working in harmony? How much more will it be possible for us that whatever we propose to do will be possible if we go about it the right way in agreement? So I would say this is the power of agreement. The power of agreement, the power of relationship, the power of working together is that so much more is accomplished than um, on their own. So I want to focus it down a little bit. That's, that's my context. That's my broad context saying that we need this unity. We need this agreement. It was so important that Jesus, his, one of his last prayers was about unity, was about harmony, was about that they be one so that the world may see. You know, the world doesn't see through eloquent preachers, through fantastic music, through brilliant lights, but he, the world does see through believers living together in harmony. Partly because it's so difficult. It's got to be a miracle. When human beings get on, it's got to be a miracle, hasn't it? They don't do it naturally. We don't intuitively get on somehow. I don't know why. Um, even me. Even I don't get on with everybody all the time. We, we, it's, not, it's not a natural thing. But when we live in harmony together, different people, and that's what we'll see. The world will see. The world will know. And that's what we want, isn't it? We don't want to just live through this life 70, 80, 90 years, go to church a bit and then die. What a waste of a life. We want much more than that. So I think there's some things that we can do to be part of the bigger thing. And I want to start looking um, at the book of Nehemiah. Um, I know I've preached on Nehemiah a few times. It's one of my favorite books. It's one of the first, when I was preparing to go off and do some study, it was one of the first things I wrote, um, I wrote about, which was probably 1983 or something. I wrote a paper on 
Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of those things that keeps coming back to me. But I think it's so powerful. And I want to, if you wanted to kind of revise this when you go home, if, I'm going to talk from chapters 3 and chapters 4. But to read from 1 to the end of 5 would be quite good. It just gives a real snippet. But I don't know if you know much about the history of, of that period. But um, it's kind of in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of the Old Testament, because it's in the middle of their history. It's at a time when we'd had the glory of David and the Temple of Solomon and the heights of, 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 the, of Israel and been fantastic. But always, always, always God had said to them that if you disobey, if you are adulterous, if you like, if you adulterate with other gods, that there'll be a judgment. And there was a judgment. And we see that the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah went into exile and Jerusalem was broken down. And it was prophesied in the uh, prophet Jeremiah uh, that 70 years would, would ensue. There would be 70 years. Um, and the, there was a, a king called Cyrus that was instrumental in sending the people, people back. It's kind of a whole history there, which I can't go into. But if, you, if you're interested, you could probably follow some of the links in your Bible or in your commentary and stuff. But the people started to come back into the land, but the city had been raised to the ground. That's a funny word, that, isn't it? Raised to the ground. How can you raise something to the ground? But it had been raised to the ground. Um, it had been burned with fire. The city had been destroyed. And there was only just a few people living there. And the people came back in three waves. Uh, the first, and I don't know which wave particularly, but... Firstly, they built the altar. They restored the altar, worship. Then they restored the temple. And at, at the start of Nehemiah, the city walls were still broken down. And Nehemiah, who's cupbearer to the king, a very important position, um, hears news from Jerusalem. He, some brothers come to see him and he inquires, how's it going in Jerusalem? What's happening in the, in the city? Because they, they all look towards Jerusalem as their, as their home and where they've been exiled from. And they told him the state of the walls. The walls are still broken down. We're still in a mess. We're still in a muddle. So uh, Nehemiah, God really grips his heart. He's in an important position with the king, but the king allows him to go back to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's, that's the start of Nehemiah. And, and it's, a great, um, it's a great example of, of someone who intervenes, if you like. God, in, in his normal job, he prays and, and, and God uses him. And it says in Nehemiah 2, 12, that, that he went back to do what God had put in his heart. So he had a vision from God. He had a plan from God to rebuild the city walls. And I just want to think a little bit about the building of city walls. So in, in chapter 3, I'm not going to read it because it's too long. I, I have read it in the past. But it's really interesting. If you read it when you go home, because it's... it's um, made up if look for the words next to 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 because what happened was they started at the sheep gate okay and then it says that these people built at the sheep gate then the next lot built next to them then the next lot built next to them it doesn't always say next to but it says a lot of times so i don't know how many times 26 or something or Please don't count them now and tell me afterwards I was wrong because I'm not interested. It was a lot of times. Okay, that, I'm just saying 26 for a big number. So next to, 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 bump. We're back at the sheep gate. That's the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it says that everybody got involved. A lot of them built near their homes. 
Not everybody, but a lot of them did. And, we, and, and look at the people who built. You've got the priests. You've got goldsmiths. You've got lords. You've got all kinds of people building. Even, and I've, in the past I've made a lot of this, but even the perfumers rebuilt the walls. I mean, perfumers, I don't know any perfumers. But I don't get the feel that perfumers have stone-building hands. You know, it feels more of a sort of a delicate job. But even they, everybody, apart from one lot, only one lot is mentioned. I think it's the Tekoites or something like that. Their, their, their lords didn't get involved for some reason. But everybody else got involved in building the wall of the city. And it, and it was interesting because... Um, we were thinking about this uh, psalm, because Maggie sort of brought it this morning to the prayer meeting. Sorry, Maggie, to mention you, but you brought the psalm to the prayer meeting, Psalm 122. And I had to smile, because that's the psalm I was going to use as well. So in Psalm 122, verse 3, it says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Or I think it might say compact together. And I only use that to say, this is how God builds God builds compact together. God builds next to. God builds shoulder to shoulder. All those, um, it's tight-knit. And I think this is key, because that's what God's looking to do in the church. He's looking to build together. He's looking to build people next to one another. He's looking to build compact. He's looking to build, if you like, a wall where there's no gaps. Okay? But there's a next to together. Um, Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So, if we don't want to build in vain, we might as well build as God's building. Yeah, does that make sense? You know, you, you can build anything you like, but if God's not building it, it's a waste of time. So we might as well build as God's building. We might as well be a church that's built like God's building, of, of next to together. And I don't mean we should all come and live near my house. You know, we all buy houses on Lexington Close. That's not the kind of next two I'm talking about. Although you can do if you want to. We do have uh, the pastor of um, Cam Cambridge Vineyard Church living just a few doors away, which is nice. Um, so it is becoming a bit more of a godly area. But you can come and live there if you like, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's, 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 a, it's a next to in terms of, it's talking about relationship. It's talking about closeness of relationship. It's talking about... Um, st standing shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm. It's talking about um, a strength that comes from, you know what I'm saying? Like the Roman soldiers. Do you know those Roman shoulders? Soldiers, sorry, not shoulders. They're, they're with their shields, they would stand in a flank. So they put all the shields together. And you couldn't get in because it was, and some would put them up and some would put them there. And you're not going to get in from the front. You're just going to, you know, if you go charging at them, you're going to go bang. And fall on because there's a, there's a real strength, and that's the kind of strength that's, um, that God's looking for. He wants us to stand close to close with, with people spiritually, but also maybe geographically as well. Geographically as well. But, but spiritually, I'm particularly talking about. So, what I'm trying to say to you is we're called to be built together in relationship. God is building through relationship. That's the way he builds. Okay, he doesn't build dresses and pretty buildings necessarily but he builds relationship committed relationship um, so it brings strength and security but also it brings equipping I'd like to just read Ephesians 4 um, 
those of you at the Bible school might think I'm just preaching the same thing I've taught on the other night. Uh, maybe I am. But uh, it kind of, it was, it's, it's, it's relevant. I think it's what God's saying. And this is talking about the ministry gifts that Jesus gave to the church to equip the church in Ephesians 4.11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Okay, just so that we know what we're talking about. Who's a saint? Put your hand up if you're a saint. Okay. So what are these people doing to you? Equipping you. Good. Okay. Do you want to be equipped? Yes. Good. Because... Yeah, good. I was going to say something stupid. I decided not to. <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay. Therefore, who's in ministry? All of us. Yeah? We don't, you know, we've got very skewed these days, haven't we? And I'm going to try not to rant. Very skewed. These great big ministries, and they come in and do all our work for us. That's not godly. It's not how God intended it to be. The saints are to do the work of ministry. Ministry just means serving, really. Serving, building one another up. And, and let's just read on what it says so you know it's not just me saying it. It says, until oh, the work of ministry, verse 12, for building up of the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is built up through the ministry of the saints. Okay, who are the saints? Okay, who's doing the ministry? Lovely. And what's happening to the body of Christ? Being built up. Being built up. Until, this is, this is what you, you can do your job until this happens, right? Okay? So this is your clocking off moment. Okay, it's all good to, always good to know what time you finish, isn't it? <laughs> finish work day at four o'clock. This is, this is when you finish your assignment, okay? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Grow up, church. It's rude, isn't it? I, shouldn't, I don't mean that really. It's a joke. We are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. From who? The whole body. Who's the body? Okay, from who? The whole body. Sorry, I've lost my place. From the whole body, joined and held together by every joint into which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the body grow? It builds itself up. How does the body grow? Builds itself up. Builds itself up in love as each part plays its part. Yeah, do you get that? It's, we're part of a body that's ministering to one another and building ourselves up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? It's not, we don't just come to church, one person does it all for us. That's Old Testament, Old Covenant. Unfortunately, that's church in a lot of places, but that's not right. And we'll never get anywhere if we do that. But as the body builds itself up, as the body ministers to itself, we're able to, um, uh, to grow. And I've, I've kind of coined this phrase to myself. Because 
the relationships that God wants us in are such as to make us more than we are who, who we are in ourselves. If I'll say that again. It makes us bigger than who we are on our own. Okay? Me in relationship is bigger than me on my own. That's what God is looking for. I've been thinking about this. We're in a kingdom that's more than. We're more than conquerors. He's more than able to do. Exceedingly abundant beyond. All we can think or imagine. So we can have me and Bob, two of us together, but because of that togetherness, we're more than just me and Bob together. Do you get what I'm saying? Like with the singing on the street. Six of us singing, seven of us singing. We're more than six or seven of us singing because there's a, there's a unity there. There's a, a oneness. There's a relationship that's bigger and it communicates. I wouldn't have the cheek to go and sing with just six of us if it wasn't worshipping God on the street. I wouldn't have the cheek. It'd be, you know, what is all that about? But together we go out there and by the anointing of God and God does something powerful and people stop and want to know and get touched and all the rest of it. It's, it's really good. So God wants us in relationships, but he wants us in relationships that are more than. More than, yeah. I've coined this friend called Northerners. You've heard of Northerners. They're always on about Northerners. We're going to have Northerners. Okay, Northerners. So I'm in a relationship with you. It's more than. And in the kind of, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, in the economy, that's the word. Economy of God. Because you can think that if I'm in a relationship with Bob, if I'm giving to Bob... Yeah, I'm decreasing and he's increasing. Yeah, you'd think that would be, you know, because there's an equilibrium, isn't there? Yeah, so one's giving, one's receiving. But actually, in a more than a relationship, Bob's blessed, I'm blessed. Who loses out? The enemy. Yeah? Someone's losing out, it's the enemy. That's why it's so important. Because sometimes we... I don't know, do we get frightened of relationship because we think, well, I'm going to have to be giving all the time. Yes, you will. But you'll also be receiving all the time if you're in the right kind of relationship, won't you? Because it's, and as we look out for other people's interests, lo and behold, someone's looking after my interests. And so we're all blessed. We're all more than. Okay, we're all more than who we are. Because I'm not that impressive on my own. No one disagreed. That's unfortunate. <laughs> but as part of a body, I'm powerful. And so are you. And it's not arrogant to say it because it's true. We have to believe it. That we're more than, we're, we're more than who we are when we're in a body together. Yeah? I, I've seen this recently and I've realized that it's only through right relationship. And I'm going to embarrass perhaps some people. I'm sorry to do this. But... I have been so blessed through Phil and Maggie recently because we came from leading a life group and we came into doing the prayer meeting and somehow, I don't know what happened, it was just kind of, they said, oh, it's really good you coming along and I'm thinking, yeah, it's really good. We get, we, we, you know, we come along and think it's fantastic. You know, we've, we've been worshipping, being in the presence of God and I'm thinking, wow. And I think they're thinking, wow. And we're both thinking, wow. And it's fantastic. There's a, it's, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, I am bigger there than I am on my own. And it's, 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 so that kind of relationship we're looking for, it's the more than, it's people that make you more than who you are. Because that's what God wants you to be, more than a conqueror. Yeah? You get that? So, right relationship. 
you know, equips us for service. So we, each one of us can serve the body and help it and build up others, yeah? Serving the outside world. Because it's not just, I don't want you to think it's just about in the church and church getting big. It's about the church being the body of Christ. What does that mean? We are here to do what Jesus did. Yeah, that's what the body, that's what Jesus did with his body. And we are his body. So we now start to do what Jesus did. So we build one another up, but we serve the outside world. We bring heaven on earth. Yeah, as it is in heaven, so it be on earth. We have the authority of Jesus. And we preach the gospel and make disciples. We're more equipped to do all those things if we're in right relationship with one another. Yeah? Because you might think this is a bit... Relationship isn't that easy sometimes. And people are a bit different. I'm not the same as Phil or Maggie. I don't necessarily believe all the same things. And some things we, we probably would differ. But why do we worry about that? Mark last week talked about, you know, uh, what are the important things, that we love Jesus and we serve Jesus. And the, some of these other things, we'll probably all change our minds on. Or we may not. I may change my mind to... You know, whatever. It, it, it doesn't really matter. But we're, so we're different. I'm very different than Mark. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> I've noticed it. I've tried to be like him, but it doesn't work. <laughs> can't even say the words right. But no, but no, I can't. I can't teach at the Bible school like he does. I can't teach from the front like he does. And I'm not called to. I'm, I, was quite, I was watching Blue Planet 2. Have you seen Blue Planet? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I haven't really watched much of it, but uh, Catherine at home had got it on, and so we were watching it. And it was the one on the coral reefs. And they had these coral reefs and all these little fish swimming around and they're, they're in the nooks and crannies. And they had this big grouper fish thing. I, I, apologies, I can't remember what it was called. It was a grouper, okay? It was what? Fishbowl. Whatever, yeah, it was a grouper fish. So the grouper fish liked to eat these little fishes that were swimming around, but it was too big to get into the little nooks and crannies, so it had a problem. It couldn't get to the food it liked. But... It had a little mate. Do you, know, do you know who his little mate was? Have you seen that program? Does anyone know who his little mate was? Not a squid. Octo, it was an octopus, yeah. It, this octopus, this, and again, I don't know what kind of octopus it was. It was some kind of octopus. So what would happen was, the octopus would come out looking for food. The group of fish would know, where the f- would know where the food was. It would see the food. So it would kind of try and attract the octopus's attention. And then it would kind of go down like that. Not with its hand, but with its head. I can't do it because we're not in water. <laughs> but it would kind of go down with its head. That's where the food is. So then the octopus would come. And, you know, it was an oct- octopus got arms. But they've got, like, flaps, haven't they? You know, so they can kind of grab around the rock. So the octopus would come and grab around the rock and try and get to the food. And... What he said was that if the fish gets away, the grouper gets it. And I was thinking, well, what's in it for the octopus? How come, you know, what's the octopus getting out of this? But then David Attenborough said, sometimes the octopus gets the fish, sometimes the grouper gets the fish. But together, they're getting the fish on their own. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't get it, was the implication. I'm sure they probably could go fishing by themselves. They might get a bit. They, the grouper might find the odd fish that's fallen off the reef and... You know, but it probably wouldn't keep it going. And the octopus probably could find them. But together. And then I can still see it in my mind. They had, and okay, you have to, these, they make up stories on these things, don't they? And they tell you, you don't know how true it is. But they had the little 
group of fish and the octopus kind of swimming off together, you know, little mates. And I thought, what a bizarre picture. You've got this fish that was kind of like spotty kind of fish and you've got this octopus. And that's what some of our relationships are like in the church. You know, I might be a grouper, you might be an octopus, but together we'll catch the fish. On my own, I might go hungry. Yeah? So we can work together with people who aren't the same as us. Because God has made us a body and we're not all feet, are we? Are we how, much, how many shoes would we need if we're all feet? <laughs> you know, or how much deodorant if we're all under, underarms? <laughs> I have to be a bit, you know, gross, you know, makes you remember it. But we're not, we're not all the same. We've got hands, you know, two. I don't need 15 hands, do I? I've got two knees, two... We're in a body, There's different, we've got, it's got different parts, but all is important, all is vital for the whole body. You know, if I, I okay, some people have lost arms or whatever, and it's difficult for them, but I'm, I'm talking about, on the whole, I need my arms and my hands, okay? Maybe not all the time when I'm running, I perhaps don't need them so much, although I do need them. But every part is needed, every part is vital, but we're not the same. So let's not gather together, let's not have feet all in one corner, arms all on the other, and then we've left our brains behind because we're Christians. <laughs> Sorry, I'd, I'd worked that one out before, so that was naughty. So, yeah, we're not all the same, but we can work together because God has designed it so. And if God has designed it so, it must be possible. Yeah? So, that's the good news. The good news is we're in a body, there's people around us, they make, them more, they make us more than who we are, and ourselves, and we need to, we need to, um, we need to grow those relationships. We need to kind of feed them. Well, I can't think of the word, sorry, but we need to focus on them, don't we? And I noticed that actually there was a podcast from Chris Valentine, which I didn't read because I thought we'd throw my sermon out. But you know about how to get rid of people that aren't kind of helping you too much. You know, people who are being a drain. Sometimes we perhaps need to spend less time with them and spend time with people who are building us up, yeah? I know there's a balance in all that, isn't there? And don't hear what I'm not saying. That's my excuse. If you come back to me, I'll say, I wasn't saying that. You heard what I wasn't saying. Okay, so, I was reading this psalm the other day, and I think it's quite nice, actually. Psalm 83. I'm going to look, look a little bit at the bad news now. Because if it was all so easy, we'd all be doing it, wouldn't we? And we'd be in a much better place. But... There's, there's a force or an enemy which is against us. Psalm 83. Oh God, do not keep silence. Oh, sorry, that's the title. Because I've printed it out. That's the title, I'm sorry. Verse 1. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, oh God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. Just Even that's nice, your treasured ones. I thought that was really, really nice. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. And then it goes on and talks about it. And it talks about it. But I just want to think a little bit about, about this. Because there's an enemy coming against us. And he comes against us with crafty plans. That's what it says there. I mean, you might be able to think of a New Testament verse which says something similar. But we need to remember that we have an enemy. 
He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's his plan, to kill, steal, and destroy us, to kill, steal, and destroy our relationships, to kill, steal, and destroy the church. That's what he's out to do. Okay, and Mark's been talking about that kind of thing for eight sessions, I think. So I don't want to repeat what he said, but I do want to kind of think about it a little bit. The key thing is we don't fight against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. The enemy uses people, but we're not essentially fighting against them. We're fighting against the enemy. And what strikes me is that if the enemy comes in like a flood with a great big frontal assault, you know, we can kind of spot that, can't we? And we can kind of get people together and we pray, God, we, you know, and we stand against the enemy and we do that in prayer meetings and in life groups and in our life. We stand against the enemy and we see him run away. We, the Bible says if we submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. So when we spot him and he's coming like a big, you know, a big noisy rah, we can see it. But the problem is it comes with crafty plans. We don't always see them, do we? We don't know. Thank you, June. <laughs> and uh, so let me just see where I'm going. The Bible says that we're not ignorant of his plans. But actually, I think we are ignorant of his plans a lot of the time. Because we don't spot them. And we let the enemy make hay in our lives. But we don't need to be ignorant. And if we, again, tune in to his word, to his spirit, to his people, we can stand against these things. But so the enemy comes against us with crafty plans. And it's interesting the weapons he used. It says, verse 5, it says, they conspire with one accord. I don't know if you remember the last time I preached, I shocked one or two of you by talking about pirate Christianity. Remember that? Pirate Christianity, it's who you are. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, sorry. I know it's bad. But I was talking about accord. That accord's a pirate word as well. I talked about last time. I don't know if you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, but uh, Captain Barboza. You know, it's always like, do we have an accord? <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't come from Norfolk, but, you know, kind of <laughs> something like that. It's, it's a kind of, the enemy's using, using some of God's strategies against us. So he's using the whole thing of they're, they're having an accord and they're, they're making a covenant together to come against God's people or to come against us, to come against our relationships. And these are the weapons that God has given us. They are our strategies, so we need them back. And, we, you know, the enemy, you can't have them. But let me... Um, Look again in Nehemiah, because this is why Nehemiah is so good, because it talks about everybody building together and building the wall up to certain stages, but they have enemies coming against them. And let, I'm going to read a little bit from um, chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and verse 7, firstly, and then a bit later on. Excuse me. Some of the enemies are called Sambalat, one's called Sambalat, one's called Tobiah. So, but when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches would begin to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. There's that confusion again. And we prayed to our God and set a guard of protection against them. Day and night. We pray to a God and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. And then verse 14. 
He says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, sorry, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. I think that's a good thing, by the way. Not, you know, it sounds like they stood behind, but they were with them. Yeah, in my mind, stood behind. Where are they, the leaders, when the fighting's gone? Like the World War I generals, you know, but no, it doesn't mean that. It means they were with them. I wish I would stop keep talking because I lose my place every time. Okay. 17. Who were building on the wall? Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laboured on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we laboured at the work, and half of them held their spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that there may be a guard for us by night and may labour by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So none of them took off their clothes. I think that's more than wearing a T-shirt twice in two days. But I don't know who did that. It's gone someone recently. <laughs> Sorry, there was a bit of a... I, saw, I heard someone getting nagged earlier for wearing the same shirt the second day. But... My wife says she does that all the time, so that's probably fine. They carried on building, but they were alert. Okay? They didn't stop building to fight, and they didn't keep building without fighting, but they continued to build. They continued to have relationship, but they were alert. They were aware of the enemy's schemes, the crafty plans. As I've said, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 16, it's talking a little bit about something else, but it says that we're not aware, and we're not ignorant of his scheme, sorry, or his designs. And as I've said, we think it's people that we're fighting against, but it's not. It's not people, even though it comes through people sometimes. It's not people, it's the enemy, and it's him that we need to resist. And this is how it happens, and th or this is one of the ways it happens. This is one I want to just nail for us. It comes in thoughts and suggestions and feelings. We get all kinds of thoughts in our heads. And not all of the thoughts in our heads are our own. You know that, don't you? The enemy throws them in there. And one of his strategies is he makes the thought sound like your thought. You think you're thinking it, but actually it's just thrown in. It's a fiery dart, just chucked in. And so often in relationships, so often between people, thoughts come in, impressions come in, and then what we need to do is recognize them and chuck them out. Don't even give them house room. But what we do, we tend to believe them because they come in our voice. And we, keep, we dwell on them. And what, they, what they're designed to do is drive a wedge between you and your relationships. 
And often they, they feed into some of our insecurities and some of our, uh, you know, preconceived notions. And they're trying to drive a wedge between you. I, what we need to do with thoughts that come in is get rid straight away. Resist them. Don't have them. Don't even think about them. You know what I'm talking about? So-and-so looked at me a bit weird. Actually, I did it to Nick. I, I, sorry, Nick, if you felt I was looking at you a bit weird, I was thinking about it. I saw Nick look at me in the worship, but I was thinking about something. I thought, well, she must think I'm, I'm blanking out, but I wasn't. I was just thinking about something. And that's often how it goes, isn't it? Um, you know, Bob doesn't talk to me that morning, and so I get a bit, why didn't he talk to me? Well, am I not important to him anymore? He's obviously, oh, look at him, he's kind of, and off we go. But maybe he was just thinking about something. Maybe he got something on his mind. Whatever. Okay? We need to give people the benefits of the doubt, don't we? Particularly people who are busy in church in the morning. You know, if, if I'm sort of busy doing something, I haven't got time to stop and talk to four people on the way to get a chair from over there to take it back over there. Have I, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there, we can be, we can have a common courtesy. But so often we go by, and, and you know, in the, in the wider family that I'm part of in, Cambridge, you know, I, there was quite a falling out because someone looked at someone else in, in a funny way. <laughs> we have to be bigger than these. I know you're all kind of, oh, no, I'd never do that. Oh, does he think we're children? I mean, what? Well, but I've heard some instances in church this last week of things that have been said or, you know, the enemy gets in, just throws stuff in. It's interesting. I've, I put something on Facebook, and this is a relief to most of the guys in the house. Yeah, this is a guy called Mark Gungle, who, uh, it must be all right because Gwyn introduced us to him. Laugh your way to a happy marriage. Okay, and he was sharing, he was saying, you don't have to share all your feelings with your spouse all the time because when you wake up in the morning, some mornings you feel, he was saying about his wife, he said, sometimes when I wake up, my wife probably feels I'm the gift of God into her life. You know, other times she may feel I'm the spawn of hell, which is, you know, he said that, not me, okay. But, you know, it's just a feeling it will pass. We don't necessarily need to share it. These thoughts that go into our heads, they're just thoughts. We need to kick them out, not share them, you know, because it doesn't do any good. If someone comes to me and say, oh, Roger, you know, I, um, I was listening to you preach. I thought you were a real Wally. But then I realized you weren't. You know, it doesn't really help me, does it? <laughs> and now I've got an issue. Oh, why does so-and-so think I'm a Wally? You know, and I've got to uh, try and deal with them yourself. Try and get rid of these thoughts yourself by just resisting them and putting your mind on something. You know what I mean? It, it, I'm not saying it's easy. It's a battle because all of us face this battle in our mind that thoughts come in and we've got a choice. We dwell on them and go down the hill or we kick them out. And the, the other thing is when we kick them out, sometimes you get, you know, shame, guilt, accusation saying, oh, you had that thought in your head about so-and-so. What are, you can't be a Christian. You must, not, you must have got unsaved overnight or whatever. That's a bit unsubtle. We wouldn't do that. But, you know, we kind of... So, so, but no, the enemy just throws a thought and the, the idea of it is to cause damage to you and your relationship. Just chuck it out. Don't share it. Just chuck it out. If you're struggling in this area and you need some help, go to someone and say, I'm struggling with thoughts. Don't tell them what all the thoughts are because we shouldn't even be talking about this thing. I, and I, I'll, get, I'll give you some scriptural backing for that. In Ephesians, okay? Ephesians 4. And verse, I've lost my other notes, I don't know what's going on. Oh, there it is. Ephesians 4. 
and let's go from 20, uh, 20. But that is not the way you have learned Christ, and this is what you saw before. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceit, and is corrupt, sorry, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's the first bit. Those lies in your head are not the truth. Okay, the truth about your neighbor is what God says about them. Yeah, the truth it's talking about. It's not saying what's true, what do you feel? It's saying what's true. Speak true truth. Speak God things to them. Don't speak, you know, I think you're a wally. You, you really, you know, all those kinds of things. I'm not saying don't talk about issues that come up, but, you know, we need to kind of get rid of these thoughts. And then it says, um, speak the truth, his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Don't let those thoughts that come into your head that are divisive come out of your mouth. Just chuck them out and be done with them. And then, you know... The way, one of the ways to get back is, you know, if I get a wrong thought about Mike, well, chuck that out and pray for him. Pray blessing on him, and the next time I see him, encourage him. Yeah, that'll sort the enemy out, won't it? You're not going to throw another one in my way, or if he does it by Bob, do the same. You know, we just be proactive and say, you know, relationship is so important to God and so important to us. I'm not going to allow the enemy to come with his crafty little schemes. And, you know, Facebook's the worst thing, isn't it? It happened to me this morning, actually. I looked at something on Facebook and thought, and I thought, hang on a minute, that's not right. And it's that, it's that first thought that comes to your head. Usually just chuck it out, okay? And then think good things about that person. You know, there's enough rubbish out in the world without us thinking it and spreading it. And the, because it's dangerous, you might think, well, if I only just keep it in my head, is that all right? But what is dangerous? Because what you dwell on, you'll become. Yeah, so if you think all these horrible things about it, you'll end up, you know, it will bring division, it'll bring suspicion, it'll bring all kinds of rubbish into your relationships, which we don't want. We need to be different than the world. The world's really good at being suspicious of one another and thinking the worst, but we are not called to that. We're called to think the best. And even if someone does let you down, because, you know, people will let you down. Even godly people like me will let you down and say, say foolish things at times, like that. I just said something foolish. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we have to bear with one another. It's about bearing with one another. God wouldn't say bear with one another if it was easy, would he? You know, he wouldn't say kind of, he wouldn't say put up with one another. He says bear with one another, think, of the, be think the best. I always like the, um, the Philippians, and I think I nearly always use this in my preachers. Philippians 2, because it's so good. Um, on, on this whole thing, and perhaps because I've, you know, not been so good on relationship um, attitudes before. That oh, there it is. Apologies. 
Philippians 2. I won't read all of this, but I'll read some of it. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any, infect, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, there's that pirate word again, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it talks about the mind, what Jesus was like, how he didn't grasp equality with God, but God exalted him to the highest place. Accord, it just means of one heart. We're to have an accord, we're to be of one heart. We won't necessarily agree on every little facet of doctrine. You know, we could all probably have, I don't know how many people here, 100, 100 different interpretations of something. It doesn't really matter. What's important is that we love Jesus, we want to serve Jesus, we're full of the Spirit, and in faith we're going to bring the kingdom together. And all these other things are subject to change. We will change, we will get revelation and change on some things, or, or we may not, but we can work together. We don't have to have um, every little thing um, agreed together. Because, for instance, I don't necessarily agree on everything with Mark. I mean, his church background is very different from my church background, and so he sees things quite differently in some areas. And, uh, you know, we could have a fight about it, but what's the point? It's just going to bring division. So I just, you know, I can just say, that doesn't really matter. This is, what matters is that we walk together into what God has got. And actually, some of the things that I've kind of, not pushed aside, but just allowed to rest, I begin to come back, actually. You know, some of my understandings of church and stuff are now beginning to kind of come to the fore, and I've, I've, I've just left them aside. I've just thought, you know, uh, uh, unity and walking together is much more important than fighting. I'm not saying that we compromise on, on who Jesus is or, you know, who the Holy Spirit is or that kind of thing. I'm saying some things that Christians fight over, it, what's the point? There's no point because what we're looking for is a unity. And as we grow together, you know, we'll start to understand some of these things in a different kind of way. Okay. Um, one of the things that's really struck me um, over the last little while is I, I've, I listened to Chris Vallotton a little bit from Bethel and some of his talks, and, and he talks about some of these things. And um, one of the things he was talking about was this whole thing of, of covenant. Uh, was he talking about covenant? Perhaps he wasn't talking about it. But he was saying that as a church, the Protestant church is, is really bad at splitting. You know, we split, split, split. You know, I don't feel good today. Let's split the church or whatever. That, that's, but there's something that the Catholic Church, say, hasn't done. They've come together. And I'm not saying that we agree with all the things, but they've come together. But what we need to have is a commitment to each other that's bigger than, do I agree about the seventh toenail of the fifth beast in Revelation? Because we might have the wrong interpretation. You know what I'm saying? I'm being silly, but that... that just like, like in my marriage, I don't have an option to walk away. I do have an option to walk away, but I don't think I, you know, I don't go out thinking, right, is today the day I'm going to split up with my wife? That's just silly. But we can do that with church, can't we? We're to be committed. I was at a, a conference recently where, where this, this guy gave us 11 reasons that people give to leave a church. Yeah, and they're all silly. They're all, well, not silly. They were all things you've heard people say, but they were not real reasons. The only reason to move on is when God calls you on. 
and we all agree together, this is the word of God, let's move on. But, you know, we're called to work things through together. We're called to be committed to one another. Um, if, if you can't give that to where you're at at the moment, maybe you need to find someone you can give that to. But, you know, uh, one of the preachers in, in Norwich used to say, you know, if you don't face up to issues now in your life, you'll meet them later on in bigger trousers. In other words, you know, you might have this little kind of issue now. But if you ignore it and walk down the road, you'll have it. And then you'll really have to do You know, often the, the issues we have are in us, not in the, in the body of people. They say if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll spoil it. Yeah? So there, there's a basic commitment that we need to have to... To relationships that we that we that walking away is not an option. You're falling out over little two little things, and I know I'm going to get challenged on this now because <laughs> I'm talking it. So please bear with me over the next few days. Be gentle with me, um, but you know that we we do need to come to a place where we we are of the same mind, we are of the same heart, that we're wanting to walk together to be more than who we are in the, on our own. Okay. So, we need to get rid of all thoughts, speculations, feelings that are divisive, that are about people. And one of the things that, again, really struck me, it, it's, this is talking about slightly different, but it's talking about believers going to, to court to sue one another. In, I think it's in Corinthians somewhere, I can't remember. But it says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be wronged? That, oh, that doesn't really go well with our Western ears, would it? Because we have to have our rights. It's my right to be understood. It's my right to have a voice in this church. My right that you take notice of me. Maybe. But my attitude should be, if I'm not, I'm not going to have a little hissy fit and walk away. Why not rather be wrong, like Jesus talked about, if someone strikes you on the face or for the other one? I know that's your enemies, but more so in the church. You know, I, I, okay, I hear it in, in, in balance. Relationships are messy. There's no doubt about it. Relationships are messy. Relationships need working at. Relationships. We'd much rather just be part of an organisation where we know our place and we, you know, clock in and clock out. But that's not what the church is like and, and, and good. We have to think about the other person. Think about their interests. Think about what blesses them. Serve them. Honour them not ourselves. We, we risk being overlooked. We risk um, being ignored. We risk um, whatever. Yeah, it's true. In all relationships. In all relationships, don't we? But we need to find a heart unity. And, you know, there are keys. We need to spend time with people. Um, we need to communicate truth with people. We need to clear up misunderstandings. We need to talk life, talk vision, talk encouragement to find this heart unity. One of the things for us is, I think one of the, for all of us, is that if we don't spend time with people, if you don't talk to people, you'll tend to get kind of misunderstandings. You'll tend to misunderstand what's meant here, what's... A, and we, we had such a really good time with, with Mark and Cheryl recently. We went, um, I went to a conference, Andrew went to a conference, and then Oliver and I spent a couple of days. And you might have seen us on Facebook going to the Sweetie Shop and going to Litchfield Cathedral. But it was a really good time of just talking. Just sharing, talking, laughing, getting stuck in the mud. You know, just... And out of that, 
for me, I was able to, I think it was about four things I, I wrote, you know, things for the church and stuff, um, that just came out of that, those conversations. And that's what relationships should be. It makes you more than. They're more than us. Mark and Cheryl are more than us and northerners. Yeah, we all need to be, we all need to be the same, don't we? Investing in our relationships, you know, and perhaps if you're not a more thaner, you need to change and be a blessing. And then you'll find, that, that's how it works actually, isn't it? It's, it's, if you're looking for friends, be a friend. If you're looking for more than relationships, be a more thaner. Okay, you start it. If you're looking to get into these kind of relationships, start serving. Because that's, again, that's for us, we started we going to the prayer meeting, going out on the street, and it just, just, just kind of happened. We didn't intentionally seek relationship, but it just happened for us that we got into this more than relationship. Yeah? So, what I've been trying to say is there's great strength in unity that if we go back to what God said, if I can remember what it was, let me put page one. Um, sorry, I should have written it down. Um, nothing, nothing we purpose to do will be impossible. That was Old Testament, as I said. The strength in unity. As we come to unity, as we come to unity of the faith, as we, as we build one another up, what we can accomplish... It's fantastic. I mean, six of us can sing on the streets and see people stop and be touched and stuff. You know, what could more of us do? But in, in heart unity. But we need to protect those relationships. The enemy knows that those are so powerful. So he comes against us with crafty schemes. To try and trick you. Okay? We need to spot them as, as much as we can and just chuck them out. Basically, if thoughts are taking you down, you know, just, just chuck them out there. If we get it wrong and it was God speaking to us, he'll speak again. But usually it isn't. It's, you know, it's the, the enemy. We need to protect those relationships. As well, we, still need, we need to work alongside the people we're alongside, don't we? I mean, I'm not saying just find that one person. Oh, you know, it's just me and Bob. Just me and Bob. We're more than us. You know, you lot can get on with life. We, we just, just, just two of us. We get on. we symbiotic we are. We're like the octopus and the grouper. You know, we get our fish. You know, we need to relate wider, don't we? We need to have other kind of relationships. We need to relate with the people we're alongside as well. So I'm not saying just get two of you in a corner and love each other to death. Uh, it's to build you up and to enable you to kind of um, be effective. 